my gosh, Doug, episode 15 already. I know. How are you? I'm all right. You know, kind of a challenging week, but uh, doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, yeah, you have had a challenging week. I yeah, heard the, you uh, had a big scare. The big event of the week was, as you know, we've mentioned Moose and Kevin, my dogs on the show. And uh, we are buying a house right now, which is exciting, but we're in between houses. So we are shacking up with the in-laws for a bit. And then um, so our dogs are separate from us and they were in dog boarding, but we moved them to a friend's house. And right away, Moose and Kevin got out. Moose came back, but Kevin did not. So we were pretty scared for a bit. So, you know, it, interesting, Liz, I can reference the power of social media. Social media helped mm -hmm. get Kevin back. So we Aww. did the whole, yeah, posts across the board, all these different things, all these different find your dog things. And the uh, later that night, a lady and her daughter found Kevin wandering around the road and um, they had seen posts online. And oh, wow. Yeah. I know. I saw your post online too. And my heart sunk down to my stomach for your family because I know what it's like for your dog to be missing just for five minutes. And so he was gone for quite a while. I think he had quite the adventure. Yeah. Hopefully he had a good day, a little nice walk about <laughs> and maybe a nap here and there. He likes to lay around in the sun, but everything's cool. He's back. And well, I'm so glad he was back and that somebody found him and was able to contact you via social media because of your posts. That's right. And my association with Liz O'Kane. <laughs> yeah, so probably... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I have, that probably hurts you more than it helps you, <laughs> but I'm sure that we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. No, this has been a pretty exciting week here too. Um, my gosh. So first, Still thinking about last week's podcast with Sharon. So hopefully everybody got a chance to listen to that and are able to um, go to eBay Main Street and sign up. Yeah, that was a good one. That got a lot of notice. So that was good. Yeah, that is really good. So hopefully sellers, you've signed up for eBay Main Street. You're getting your information and going from there. I got to listen in on eBay's May seller check-in. Uh, a lot of great stuff. It'll be online on their YouTube channel. So, and they did announce that eBay open this year would be virtual and it would be free. And hmm. I believe it starts August 3rd, but you can go, we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's um, sellerevents.ebay.com. Registration's not open yet, but definitely um, sign up for that. And we'll talk more about it on the podcast, but that was pretty exciting to know. Still looking forward to in-person events. Yeah. I can't wait. I think they'll be I back. Doug, this yes. week. I'm super excited for our guest this week. This is a guest that I have wanted on the show since episode one. The one and only Katie Zilverberg. Laughter, tears, crying about lost <laughs> concert t-shirts. We talked Grailed, Etsy, Instagram sales, auctions, shirts in general. All right. So this week we've got Katie Zilverberg. We'll have a seller shout out and we have some interesting news. But first, let's get started with Katie. And wait a sec, just so you know, yes. the Seller Community Podcast is produced by List Perfectly every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at listperfectly.com slash podcast. We got to pay the bills, Liz. Yes, we've got to pay the bills. And today we welcome our friend Katie Zilverberg. She is the 2017 eBay Shine Award winner for the Rising Star category. 
influencer, YouTube star, virtual flea marketeer. She sells on Etsy, eBay, Grailed, and more. I can't wait to hear more about it. Welcome to the show, Katie. Hello. Thanks for having me. Man, I'm going to be riding that shine wave for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's my plan. That's right. You don't want to peak too early with that. <laughs> right. it was just like carrying, I should start carrying the my little award statue thing around with me everywhere I go. Because huh? did you know? What's that? Because because did you know I won the 2017 <laughs> Shine Award? I could get it like put on a chain around my neck and I could be like uh, Flava Flav. That's right. All right, Liz, I don't know if you know, but Katie's a big horror fan and I'm a big horror fan and we've kind of bonded over that. So we're going to take over. This is now a, a horror podcast. So just sit around and listen. Yeah, I'm Already. actually pretty excited about it because we've decided that we're we're just going to explore David Cronenberg as an auteur. We're going to look over his entire canon of work, look at and you know explore some of the threads of themes that go throughout okay. his career. So uh, just buckle up, Liz, because you're in for a wild ride. Yeah, I'm it's a little lost. niche, but you know, there's a niche <laughs> for every niche. <laughs> what I do know about is horror T-shirts, thanks to Katie. There That's about as horror movie and shows as I get. You know, and I actually, uh, I only had, well, I had four things I shipped out today, but of those four things, three of them were actually horror t-shirts. But I'm going to bring it back around. Doug gets easily distracted. Um, Katie, you do too, but that's what I love about both of you. Is we, I think we could do this podcast for three hours and have seven themes. <laughs> so Katie, take us on the Katie Zilverberg reselling journey. How did you get started selling online? Okay, well, it is a bit of a tale uh, mm -hmm. because there is my current online selling journey, but I was reselling a long time before that, um, more mm -hmm. as like kind of a hobby. So as Doug said, I am a big fan of horror movies. I'm also just a fan of movies in general um, across all kinds of genres. And so I've been collecting like VHS and DVDs and Blu-rays over the years. And back in like the early 2000s, I actually worked at a record store where they bought and sold uh, used and new movies. And so I mm -hmm. would collect and then I would also sell um, stuff on Amazon because back then you know I didn't sell on eBay for a really long time but I would sell on Amazon and so I would actually use eBay to do my comping and I would look for movies that were selling for high prices to kind of know what to look for and so I was selling stuff like I, I remember when Much Ado About Nothing on DVD was out of print and that DVD would sell for over a hundred dollars this was like early 2000s uh, stuff like that. So I was doing that for years. And then when I went to grad school in 2007, I had to move to New York City and I sold a bunch of my collection on Amazon to fund my move. I got into selling in my current version of my selling life. Uh, back in 2015, I actually had left uh, my job as executive director of a Habitat for Humanity affiliate in Oregon. And I was starting my own business as a marketing consultant for small businesses. At the same time, I kind of dabbled in reselling because I went to an Adidas outlet store and I just happened to see some shoes that were marked way, way cheap. And I thought, I think I could probably resell these and make a little bit of money. I basically figured out pretty quickly that I could build a reselling business faster than I could build a marketing <laughs> consulting business. 
And I was limited because I only had six months of unemployment where I had to make my own, like a self-employment, uh, my own business. I had to build it to support myself within six months or I'd be in trouble and have to go back to right. getting a real job. And so once I realized I could be successful with eBay and even doing some Amazon FBA, I just kind of went fully into that. So it's just kind of a weird, I wasn't planning on doing it guys. It just happened. <laughs> it just happened so that um, marketing got put on the back burner. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes a lot to build a business yeah. like that. And you, it's, it, it really takes a lot of work. And I think I could have been successful at it, but it, I think it would have taken longer than that six months. And what was the spark that made you decide to go full time? Um, I think it was just that I saw success so quickly. Like I had my first sale in December of 2015 and I just started uh, doing it a little bit more and a little bit more. And then I found the bins and I just, I, I could see my sales were steadily increasing as I was adding inventory. And, but then I could also see that, you know, six month, five month, four month, the countdown to when I really needed to be bringing in enough money to be able to support myself full time. And I just, it was just kind of a gradual thing that happened very quickly, if that's possible. <laughs> but I, and I was having fun doing it. It was like, yeah. you know, I mentioned earlier that I collect movies and that I have this collector mentality. So it was kind of like uh, plugging into that exciting part of myself where, you know, going out and looking for something that could sell for a lot. Um, it was kind of like collecting, like I'd find it and I'd put it up for sale and I'd sell it. And then just kept going and, and building and going faster and faster and faster. And then I, I don't, I couldn't give you like a specific moment that that happened. It just, but it was very quick. Uh, six months is, is quick, right? Yeah. To build an entire b eBay business to do that. That was in 15, 2015, right? So, so my first sale was through? December of 2015. Um, I would say it took me eight months. So there were about two okay. months where I was really struggling because my, that weekly unemployment payout went away mm -hmm. and I had two months where I had to like really struggle. Um, but then I hit fourth quarter and I was good to go. It was kind of like once I hit the thousand listing moment, which was in October of 2016, that was when I was like, okay, I can really do this and make this my full-time job. You got that momentum so fast. Clearly eBay recognized this because in 2017, you won the eBay Shine Award for the Rising Star category. It was announced on stage at eBay Open 2017 in front of nearly 2,000 guests. What was that moment like for you? It was surreal and it was it was really exciting i will say that you know i had probably spent the previous couple of years just working nonstop, living practically as a hermit i wasn't really going out i wasn't doing anything and so then to all of a sudden be like launched into this crazy world that is ebay open where there's all these people mm -hmm. that i don't know but a lot of them i do know as stranger friends as we call them so people that I'd like built relationships with online and to suddenly be in the middle of that and all the hype around the shine awards and people were like chanting my name. And it was, it was just really exciting and fun. And it was an amazing experience. And I, you know, I've, I've made a lot of friends from that experience. Um, and you, I mean, I didn't even meet you that year. I don't no. think, I don't no, think I, I, I met a lot of people. I'm pretty sure I didn't meet you. So I didn't even meet you that year, but um it was a really exciting, fun experience uh, that I wish everybody could have that experience. So, all right. So you were growing, you were hustling through there. What were you selling at that time? Was it a broader, broader category that you were selling? 
Um, I was okay. So let's go back to when I very first started, because like I said, I did grow very quickly. So when I first started, mm -hmm. I would sell anything like I was going to, you know, the outlet mall to the outlet stores, I was doing retail arbitrage, I was going to um, hardware stores, I was going, you know, so I was buying clothing, hard goods, anything, I, I didn't know what I was doing. My store wasn't even named a boutique for him at that time. It was <laughs> Silver Mountain Deals. And uh it, which is just ridiculous because then later when I decided to change it, I'm like, it's so cringy sounding. It sounds like it's like, here's a deal for you. And here's a deal for you. <laughs> but um, I was just selling a little bit of everything. And then I found the bins. Like my sister had been telling me for years about the bins uh, and I'd never gone, you know, I grew up going to thrift stores, but I'd never gone to the, uh, the bins. And so when I finally went and I realized how cheap it was and how, much clothing there was, I kind of started gradually moving over into clothing. By the end of 2016, I had really shifted over into men's clothing. I was still picking up some women's clothing if I found something that was interesting. And I was still picking up some hard goods if I found something that was interesting. But I shifted pretty quickly and very organically into men's clothing. And by 2017, when I was at the Shine Awards, I already was, had more of a niche of more vintage than not more used mm -hmm. than not, but still men's clothing. And I was kind of starting to move into more of just the streetwear kind of category uh, as opposed to, you know, anything else like button down shirts and things like that. Moving more towards streetwear, jackets, sweatshirts, t-shirts, um, still some sneakers, uh, but more streetwear. There was like kind of like the framework of what where I'm at today had already started at that point. I was already kind of known somewhat as doing somebody who sold streetwear and t-shirts, mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of just the beginning of that. When I look at your store, I think that I'm looking at a website for streetwear collection. Everything is tight. Your pictures are tight. I mean, everything. So you are fairly niche, especially known in that vintage streetwear yes. t-shirt market. Yeah. And I, and, and, you know, like I said, I originally was called Silver Mountain Deals. And so it was before the Shine Awards that I had changed my name. I don't remember exactly when I changed my name, but when I realized I was doing menswear, that was when I was like, okay, I want to have like a little bit of a classier, uh, more interesting name that kind of um, is descriptive of what it is I sell or the kind of mm -hmm. thing I sell. And so that's where I came up with a boutique for him. And, uh, and one of the great things about winning the Shine Award is that um, one of the prizes was kind of a rebranding. And so I got to have like a professional logo and everything made. So um, it really helped kind of complete the look of what my store was going to look like from then on. And then so you decided to branch out offering your goods at some point outside of eBay. So what platforms have you extended to? Where are you selling now? Yeah, so I was pretty focused on eBay. I mean, I, I do tend to, once I have an idea of like what I want to do, I tend to be very, almost have blinders on and I want to just focus on that one thing and be really good at it. And that's how I was with eBay for a long time. And But then I did start flirting a little bit with Etsy, uh, but I wasn't really putting a full amount of time in, I think like the beginning of 2018, I think I started, um, you know, I put like a hundred listings up on Etsy and then I just never touched it again. I was terrible about it. And then the whole uh, picture palooza happened where a bunch of pictures got uh, disappeared on eBay. And that was when I really was like, yeah, I need to focus on seriously expanding some other platforms. So I'm not so dependent on just one platform for selling. And so right. that's when I really expanded to, to Etsy. And then it wasn't until let's perfectly added grail, you know, they were, they kept trying to get me to, to, 
to try out List Perfectly. Vicky was using List Perfectly. Of course, Teresa was. And I was getting, you know, kind of harassed regularly by my peers to hurry up and finally do it. And I was like, I will join as soon as they get grailed. And they got grailed and I jumped on board and added grailed. And then a few months later, I added Mercari. So grailed, that was your third platform. Mm -hmm. How's that performing for you? It's good. I mean, if we're going to go by numbers, eBay continues to be number one. I mean, it's just, right. the, it's the largest platform as far as reach goes. Um, and so even though I have a love hate relationship with eBay, uh, it's, it, I can't deny that it is my number one moneymaker. Um, Etsy is definitely number two and then Grailed would be third, but I do enjoy Grailed. And when you have something like list perfectly, to cross post and it makes it really easy and fast. It's kind of a no brainer, um, mm -hmm. but Grail is definitely, it's a little bit of a slow grower, but once you expand on there and kind of build a reputation, you start to see the sales come in a little bit faster. And so I do get steady sales there and it, and it definitely adds a big number to my bottom line at the end of the year. I see that question asked in the community a lot, people that are starting to use Liz Perfectly or they're just cross posting on their own. They're like, what's the secret sauce for Grailed? What is yours? Is it just listing more? Is it knowing the audience? I would say with Grailed, it's a very specific audience. And so every platform is going to have um, its audience and, and who's there. You've got your platforms that are more like yard sales uh, where you know things go quickly, but at low prices and it can be anything. Grailed is very specific. It's for menswear. And it tends to be more towards streetwear is what, you know, your audience is looking for there. And it also, um, I do think reputation matters. Uh, you know, when you get reviews, you, you hear people talk about eBay and how reviews don't really matter as much anymore, mm -hmm. or people don't leave feedback. On Grailed, I get probably 60% of my sales I get feedback for because people in the streetwear community, particularly vintage, uh, I think it's really important to them that they trust the people they're buying from. The reality is, I mean, I could be generalizing here, I know, but uh, the reality is a lot of people who are selling vintage streetwear are going to be younger guys. And let's face it, when we were younger kids, we maybe weren't so responsible. Uh, maybe we didn't have the best work ethic. And so there, there does tend to be a lot of issues with shipping out on time or... Um, disclosing flaws or shipping out at all. And so I think it can be really important to buyers to see that you have the flair on your, your grail that says that you're a trusted seller or that you ship uh, quickly or that you respond quickly and they can see like, okay, this isn't somebody who's going to try to scam me or selling me a fake band t-shirt um, or trying to get one over on me. It, it, it takes, you have to have a very specific type of items that you're listing, and then you need to have a good reputation. One of the big trends right now is social commerce. So that's all over the board and Liz will smile because I'm kind of obsessed with it and I always bring it up and I always talk about it. So it's basically tying social media and selling together. So tell us a little bit about that, that kind of Instagram side of things, the Instagram flea market stuff, the live auctions, how you found out about that, how you got into it. You know, people talk about going and using Instagram to sell. Um, but a lot of the sellers who are probably listening to this podcast are going to be sellers who sell a little bit of everything. 
They don't necessarily have like a specific niche, but when it comes to my niche of, you know, vintage and streetwear and t-shirts, stuff like that, that particular niche is uh, perfect for an Instagram presence. And I will say that I am not the best at it. Like, I feel like, you know, it's very difficult to find a balance and to make sure you're putting in the time you need to, to grow on Instagram, because it is a lot about that social media presence. And I tend to be somebody who wants to, you know, I just want to get some work done. Um, and so it takes a lot of finessing, but it definitely is great for that kind of selling. So I've been on Instagram for, I don't, I don't even know now with my boutique for him. I think I started like a few years ago, maybe four, four years ago, three years ago. Um, and so I, again, similar to how I was with Etsy, like I would go through spurts and I continue to do this where (laughs) I will post stuff every day or try to do it every other day or regularly. I was getting more active over the last couple of years. And uh, there's one particular uh, account on their 1980 something co sky, Chris, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'd been following him for a while. Um, Pre pandemic, he probably had a good 50,000 followers on Instagram. Um, He sells his, his old gig was that he would sell at the Melrose trading post, I think is what it's called. And uh, it's like a thing in LA. It's like a flea market that's every Sunday in LA. But then the pandemics happened and everything shut down. And so it was like basically his business came to a grinding halt uh, as far as like what was supporting his family. And so that he's the one that started the virtual flea. And uh, and it was kind of a way for him to sell to people, but also to allow other sellers and newer sellers to have an opportunity to access his audience and sell stuff. And so he's been doing that since basically the shutdown happened last spring. Uh, every Saturday and Sunday. I mean, it's it's gone through a lot of changes since um, and it, it's pretty much exploded. And now he does um, in-person events. They call it the virtual flea, <laughs> which I can't even, I, the, we don't have enough time here for me to explain to you guys what that, what that even means, but it's just this crazy phenomenon that's taken off. And now you, when you go on Instagram, if you follow a lot of streetwear sellers, it's like, seriously, there are lives going on constantly. It's too much guys. It's too much. Can't handle it. I'm I'm 42. I can't do it anymore. So when you went on virtual flea as a friend, I was like, okay, let me find this 19. Wow. He's got a lot of followers. Okay. Let me watch Katie. And I was like, it was a totally different language for me. I know, I think Katie and I text back and forth. I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> it's inside the jokes. Like anybody who it you is. friends that you hang out with a lot, you start to make up yeah. words, you, you get silly with each other. And that happens in any community and especially this kind of a community where it's a lot of younger people. And, uh, and so, the, so it, it's like it, when you're new to it, you're like, what are they even talking about? What is this reference? What is that reference? And plus, like I said, we're old Liz. We, it takes us a little longer to figure out what the kids are saying, okay? But it didn't take me long. I still don't know what they're <laughs> saying. But what I did learn in that first, I think it was like an hour mm-hmm. for the first one. What I did learn is it's an entire culture. It is. It's an entire community within a community. Mm-hmm. And there is some serious cash to be made. Absolutely. It's pretty crazy. In that streetwear. So... The story that sticks out to me. So on your first virtual flea, normally you, ha- you but you were wearing a t-shirt while selling other t-shirts. I was. People wanted to buy the shirt you were wearing, but you were really connected to it. Yeah. Well, it was a t-shirt. So so let's backtrack a little bit. So the yes. virtual flea, for people out there who don't know the virtual flea is, it's basically, I mean, it's sort of like an online flea market, but the way it's set up is that, you know, if you're a seller and you get a, a spot on the virtual flea, it, you get a set. And so I would have an hour set and I'd show t-shirts 
and I do some that were auction pieces. So there might be five minutes where people could basically comment in the chat and they would bid on the auction piece and you're trying to sell it for as high a price as possible. And while those auctions were going on, I'd also show set price pieces. And so in one set, I might show 50 to 60 t-shirts and try and make some money off of it. And I think the, the most I made in one set was like $2,800, I think for one set. And so it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, but yeah, and so when you go on, I mean, the audience is like, you know, t-shirt collectors, mostly t-shirts, uh, you know, streetwear collectors. And so when you go on, it's like, of course you want to wear something cool. You want to, you want to yeah. look good. You want to, you want to show off that you've got a cool vintage t-shirt and it's kind of, they call it like the off the back challenge. Like, can you sell this t-shirt off your back? <laughs> but the t-shirt I was wearing was this ET vintage ET t-shirt that I had bought from uh, my buddy, Jesse, who owns yesterday's fits, uh, a streetwear store here in Vegas. And he had sold it to me at, at a very low price with the agreement that I would never sell it. And so I wasn't even going to sell it. And I didn't sell it that day. We will no. get to the, the rest of that story <laughs> when you ask me a later question. But um, it was a really cool Universal Studios uh, ET t-shirt, vintage ET t-shirt from 1991. So for the virtual fleet, I mean, really, there's there's so many sellers out there who are doing on Instagram who are doing their own virtual flea style uh, lives. Um, and so you could, and I've been on other people's as well, you know, my friend Barry Afro vintage, uh, he does some during the, during the week in the morning. And he's actually one that like dragged me kicking and streaming to even try to do the virtual flea. Um, so there's a lot of them, but you know, uh, 1980 something co is like the, the big one, the main one. Yes. And at the time I, it was easier to get on there. Um, but he was still like running raffles and uh, to get spots to make sure that people could have a chance to get a spot. Now it's like practically impossible because so many people want to do it. Once you get on the show, once you get a spot, um, you know, he does it on Saturdays and Sundays. I think he does it other days as well now, but I don't watch enough on Instagram to mm -hmm. know exactly what his setup is, but Saturdays and Sundays. And then he has people vote for uh, who is their favorite seller for that day. So he does one on Saturday and one on Sunday and whoever wins, they are basically MVP and they automatically get to come on the next week. And so basically uh, the trick is, or at least what I did because I, I have an audience because as we'll talk about later, you know, I have a YouTube channel uh, with my fiance, Vicky, who has already been on this podcast um, because I already have somewhat of an audience. Uh, I was able to get, enough votes to be able to keep coming back. I think I was on like a good six or seven times because mm -hmm. I was like, if I don't get MVP, then I don't know when I'm going to be able to be on again. And so I did that a, a bunch. Like I was on probably mm -hmm. eight times, maybe. I don't remember exactly. A lot of work goes into being on one of those uh, sets. Because like I said, it's like 50 to 60 shirts, but I can't come back with the same ones the next week. I have to have 50 to 60 other t-shirts and they can't just be the regular vintage stuff that I have in my, in my inventory. Like it has to be, as the kids say, it's gotta be banger pieces. It's gotta be, it's gotta be like hyped up pieces. Otherwise, like, why would they care? You know, and, and it's very specific, uh, you know, ones that they're interested in. They like movie t-shirts and who knows, maybe it's completely changed. I haven't watched in a couple of months. So it, right. their, their tastes change very quickly, but there's very specific things that they look for. So you have to be, constantly out there looking for more inventory that's going to uh, live up to kind of what people want to see. You know, some people make very good livings uh, reselling bread and butter, basic fashion on, mm -hmm. you know, uh, selling platforms. But 
but that's not the kind of stuff that necessarily is going to work when you're talking about um, social media, commerce and, and, and stuff like that. You know, you know, like I, I think I hinted about it a little bit earlier. It's, it's a very particular type of platform to use for selling and mm -hmm. uh, place to build, try to build your business. And it's difficult. And I've had difficulty, like I said, because I have a hard time giving enough of my time to it because you really do have to be on there a lot and you have to build relationships with other people. And so I know that my potential on Instagram has suffered because uh, I haven't given it enough time. And so it's kind of one of those things where, you know, I can talk about it and I could quote unquote, give advice about it, but I'm not necessarily coming from a place where I'm making, you know, high numbers there. I'm still making the, the majority of my money on, on just the old school, regular platforms that have been around for years. Um, but I will say that if you are selling in a niche, it doesn't have to be streetwear. It can be any niche, but you do have to have a niche in order to really be successful on Instagram, in my opinion, because you're building an audience and he, an audience doesn't want to see 95% of stuff that they, they don't care about just to maybe see something they might like once a month. But I would say of all the platforms, including eBay, Instagram for me and for my niche probably has the most potential for growth if I put the right time into it and right focus mm -hmm. on it. So what platform are you eyeing next? So TikTok is going to be doing a lot in terms of selling online. They're really ramping up there. They're starting to roll that out. Are we going to see a Katie Zilverberg TikTok? Can oh my you God. make the announcement here? The thought of Listen. that? The thought of that is horrifying to me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because I've my whole life I've been like, you know, I, I'm a I'm one of those cusper people. I was born in 1979, so I straddle the analog and digital age. Like the internet came about while I was still a kid, but I remember the good old days. And uh, and so I've always been a very tech savvy person, but I'm starting to feel it where it's like it took me a while to figure out Instagram stories and how and I still don't think that I, I use Instagram stories to the best of, of their potential. Um, and then I finally kind of figured that out and then they came out with the reels. And so like the idea of like figuring out TikTok and then like figuring out how to use that to my, to my benefit is just the thought. It's like I, it's horrible. Doug, why would you do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll take TikTok off the table. We'll Have see. you thought about expanding to other platforms? Or are you totally cool and comfortable? Um, I would say I'm totally cool and comfortable. I would say as far as like platforms go, I would be interested in Depop. My, my issue with Depop is mm -hmm. that they, as of now, only allow four photos. Mm -hmm. And because I sell higher priced uh, vintage it's like, yeah, I sell t-shirts and you're like, how many, how many pictures does a t-shirt need? But I'm selling vintage t-shirts that have varying levels of um, condition. And it's really important because of the prices that I'm asking for, the prices that I'm getting. It's important that I'm able to show more than just four pictures. And with all of my current listings, uh, the first four photos, if I'm cross-posting, are not going to cut it. And so it just seems like a lot more work than I'm willing to put in. But I, I would imagine that it's only a matter of time before Depop finally follows the ways of uh, Etsy yeah. and other platforms that started out with only a few photos and finally would all expand eventually. So if they were to expand to, let's say, eight photos at least, then I would think about going to Depop. Um, the only other one that I would consider that I've thought about is Shopify, because I do mm -hmm. think at a certain point it would behoove me to have my own website where maybe I don't put all of my 2,500 listings on it, but it would be probably a more curated kind of the really good uh, vintage streetwear type stuff that is going to attract people. And that's where I would probably link my 
my um, Instagram too, because it would be more about this kind of highly curated boutique, boutique, a boutique for him. And so for those that have not seen Katie's stuff, when Katie's like, well, I sell a little bit higher end t-shirts. Okay. So we're talking roached out Slayer t-shirts for in the hundreds. Talking about like the virtual flea and stuff like that. In the last, I would say, you know, I've been doing well with vintage t-shirts and stuff for a few years now, but in the last year or so, the vintage t-shirt market has absolutely exploded. And a lot of it does have to do with kind of the hype around stuff with Instagram and with the virtual flea. And so there are sellers out there who are selling t-shirts for thousands of dollars. You know, it's like vintage wrap t-shirts, which wrap tees, which are basically bootlegs or they're not even, they're, they're like, you know, they're not um, like licensed t-shirts, but they're from like the nineties. And some of those go for thousands of dollars. Some Disney t-shirts go for thousands of dollars. And I don't sell t-shirts at that level. I feel like I'm more about, I'm more of the uh, tortoise in the race as opposed to the, the hair. Some of these kids out there, they're all about, you know, kind of the flex and the selling the crazy prices, but you know, it's, it's tough to find those. And I guarantee you a lot of those kids are, are paying way up for that stuff too, and maybe not making much profit, but my kind of uh, sweet spot is, you know, vintage t-shirts I can sell for a hundred dollars for $200 for $300. My average sale price is at $70 um, because I do have some lower price stuff. But at this point, I don't even pick up a t-shirt that I can't sell for minimum 40. Um, but I like more 70 and above because not every roached out stained up t-shirt is the same. It's a lot of, it's about the graphic and it has to be the right kind of uh, fade, the right kind of wear. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it can just be falling apart. Like one of the t-shirts I sold today, one of the t-shirts I shipped out today was, it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even like a nineties shirt. Like we're talking about Y2K mid two thousands horror t-shirts are selling for a lot of money now. And one of them I sold today for a hundred dollars was a Day of the Dead, George Romero Day of the Dead t-shirt reprint. I mean, it's from like the mid 2000s, completely destroyed, holes, worn thin, uh, just completely worn out, but it sold for a hundred bucks and I paid like five for it. Um, and, you know, but, but it's a very particular look that people are looking for. And it's not exactly something that's easy to explain to people. So will people Roach wear it or do they just display it? Or, you, well, obviously you don't probably, know. Probably, he'll probably wear it. I don't know. Like, you know, Etsy describes vintage as 20 years old or older. But now in the streetwear community, mid 2000s is starting to be desirable now, too. So some of those like horror tees, movie tees, music tees, as long as they still have or had a tag in them. Like, you know how some T-shirts have the printed tags and newer ones have the, the tag is printed around the fabric. Those are still worthless. But like stuff from the mid 2000s is considered kind of vintage. And Y2K is like a big search term. Even for not, even for stuff that's not vintage T-shirts or streetwear, I know Liz, you've you've been talking about this like on Etsy. One of the highest searched words or terms now is Y2K. Katie, tell us about your YouTube channel. What is okay. the Katie and Vicky show? Tell I know what it is. Tell our audience what the Katie and Vicky show is. Well, I feel like people have come here to hear my rambling stories. So let's let, let's begin. <laughs> Back when I won the Shine Award in 2017, I was kind of like, all right, how do I ride this fame for as long as possible? Um, you know, tens of tens of people know me now. I need to really capitalize on that. And so I started a YouTube channel and it was just my name. Just Katie Zilberberg was the YouTube channel. And I didn't really know what it was going to be, um, but I'm not one of those people who tries to prep everything out beforehand. I just dive in and figure it out. And so that's basically what happened. So there were a few months of having that YouTube channel where I'd sporadically put out videos and I didn't know what I was doing. And then I started doing a few hauls 
And then in early 2018, I finally convinced Vicky, my fiance, to do a haul video with me. And she did like a couple. And then finally, at some point, we started doing regular videos. And then I changed the channel name to uh, Katie and Vicky because it was both of us. It's basically just, you know, us trying to share our knowledge with other people. Um, we both come from uh, backgrounds where we like to do nonprofit work and we like to help other people. And we like to teach other people. And so this we thought was the best way to do that, but we don't have a lot of time. So rather than doing pre-recorded videos, we do a lot of lives, but we do every Sunday, we do uh, our Sunday live haul show and we show our real numbers. Um, I think that's one of the things that's unique about us is uh, we show our real numbers for the last week, our gross numbers. And then we try to show like a lot of our costs. Obviously we don't show everything as far as our costs go, because there's a lot of stuff that you, know, you just can't put out there. Biggest part is our cost of goods. Uh, you know, a lot of people out there on social media like to flex and show, like, look at all these packages I'm shipping out, look at everything that we've done, look at our numbers, but they don't tell you what their cost of goods are. And without knowing what the cost of goods are, it's kind of worthless, meaningless information. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we tell what our cost of goods are. We show what our numbers are, what our sales are. Um, and then we also show kind of the highlights of some of the stuff that we sold over the previous week. And then we show our haul or the stuff that we picked up in the previous week. And we kind of try to educate people on the different types of stuff that we're picking up to resell. Yeah, that's basically where our channel is. You know, we do some other stuff. We do like a, a hangout show every once in a while called No Pants Friday After Dark. And because I'm very against wearing any kind of restrictive waistbands. And sometimes we do a Wednesday business show. But our Sunday show is, is our mo most regular show that we try to do every Sunday if we're not out of town. Katie has a boutique for him. Vicky has LVP Peacock. Two separate stores, two separate businesses. So yeah. it's not a, you're not a couple selling in one store. You have my very favorite seller video. I was going through YouTube stuff once and something came up. And I think it was just you out at a store and you were going through t-shirts like this and you were talking about stitching and how to identify and how you go through. And you were going through so fast. I thought it was sped up, but it was real time. And you're like, oh, yeah, you grab something and grab something. I thought that was amazing. So you're talking about stitching and how to identify, you know, the original vintage stuff. And then I'm either going to make you cry or you're going to make me cry. So <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, my wife is around. So when we started dating, she changed my style and had me get rid of all my concert t-shirts. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're so still married had, to her? I know. I, know. <laughs> I had shirts back to like, my first concert was Duran Duran Erasure, July 1987 in San Diego. I had, that was my oldest shirt. And then I had some old Depeche Mode shirts. I had a 91 Morrissey first U.S. solo tour. So all the way back to 87 and all the way up to whenever that was. And I gave them all away. Oh, that's rough. Made, you may have some of them. But. That's really rough. That's like, uh, <laughs> you know, you our, our friend Dana, who's a reseller, she sent me a few weeks ago, she sent me a picture. She was at some antique mall where they have like the little booths. And she sent me a picture of, a, of an 80s, early 80s, uh, missing persons t-shirt and it was like priced at 35 bucks and she's like should i get it and i'm like yes and because uh, <laughs> i could tell because she said she knows to send me a picture of like the tags and stuff so i can make sure of like yeah. when it when it's from i'm like absolutely get it and just yesterday she messaged me and said she sold it for 175 dollars i've been shopping with katie before we've been to the thrift stores and i thought i was a power shopper <laughs> boom she's in out hey you guys ready come on i got what i needed let's go well, part of that has to do with it, the men's sections. If you go into a thrift store, the men's section is very small. Yeah. And I have very specific things I'm looking for. And like Doug was saying about uh, me going through the rack, I know 
had a spot. I can see, mm -hmm. I, I don't really even need to look too much at like any graphic or anything like that. I'm looking more at the tag and I will you know, kind of look at the graphics. So I can go through very, very quickly. All right, welcome to the lightning round, Katie Zilverberg. There's double points. If you need to make up points, this is the place to do it. So this is going to be the quick ask, quick answer questions and uh, just right off the top of your head. All right, Katie, what was the first item you sold online? The first item I sold online, I don't remember exactly what it was because this was mm -hmm. back in like the early 2000s when I was selling movies. But I will say one of the ones I remember, I had a DVD of the movie Man with a Movie Camera, which is like an early, like, like a, it's like a 20s black and white silent Russian mm -hmm. film. But it, the music was Cinematic Orchestra, uh, mm -hmm. which is a band. And I bought it at like Barnes and Noble because it just, it looked cool. I like silent movies. Um, but then like later on, maybe a couple of years later, I was checking out on eBay, like what stuff is worth. And I realized that it was out of print because they probably only made a limited number of copies of it. And I ended up selling it for like $200. And so that was probably one of the first things I sold. And what was your most memorable sale? So back probably in late 2016, early 2017, when I was buying at the bins, I found a leather polo Ralph Lauren jacket. So I bought it to the bins, 99 cents a pound. And I sold it to a guy on eBay who wanted to pay with a cashier's check. And so this is like way after cashier checks were like the norm. This used to be that was the norm like a long time ago. But I was like, well, I guess if you want to send me a UPS or USPS cashier's check, that'd be fine. But I can't ship it to you until I actually get it. And so he sent it to me like signature mail and I opened it up and he literally sent me cash. Like this dude sent me like $400 cash back in, you know, like I said, 2017, I shipped it to him. It was like exactly the same jacket that he had had and then lost. And so he wanted to replace it. I sent it to him and he ended up buying more stuff from me, but it was so weird to get like this envelope full of cash from this guy who he didn't know who I was, but he trusted me right. to uh, send it to him. So what was the highest price item you have ever sold? All right, so now we're gonna call back to the story about my ET shirt that Jesse had had sold to me. He sold to me for fifty dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a dead stock ET Universal Studios shirt, and I the rule was I couldn't sell it. But then I went on the virtual flea, and everybody was like yelling out numbers, and I think somebody maybe said like they would buy it for like five hundred dollars. And so the next time I saw Jesse, I was telling him and he was like, you should have taken the money. And I'm like, but I promised you I wouldn't sell it. So I think the next time or the time after that, that I went on the virtual flea, I finally said, okay, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put this one up, but I have to start it. I think I started it at like $300 because I wasn't going to sell it for less than a certain amount. It ended up selling for $900. All right. I think you answered this, but what's your favorite platform to sell on? I would say Etsy is my favorite platform. It's, um, you know, super easy to list on. Uh, the fees are lower than I think most other platforms, if not all of them. You just don't have problems with buyers on there like you do on some other platforms. It seems to be um, a higher level of sophistication when it comes to the <laughs> buyers. You get a lot of international sales. You don't hardly ever get people asking for returns. Uh, people are willing to pay more money for things. Stuff that I can't sell on eBay that that doesn't sell for the prices I want on eBay tends to sell on Etsy. I would say Instagram has the potential to be a favorite platform, but right now it just feels like a 
really big mountain to climb, I need to be putting more energy into. But I would say definitely right now, Etsy is my favorite. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you started selling online? I would say there aren't any like big glaring things where I'm like, oh, I can't believe I did that when I in the beginning. Because um, I did grow pretty quickly. And so I mm-hmm. feel like my skills grew pretty quickly. Uh, but if there was one thing I could tell my younger selling self, I would probably say that uh, I should be expanding to other platforms sooner that mm-hmm. um, it, that I should have been doing that more from the beginning. Back then, I wouldn't have had less perfectly. So it would have taken me a lot longer. Cross posting uh, <laughs> takes a lot longer when you don't have a tool like that. What's your favorite horror movie and why? It's really tough to give a favorite, but my go to answer usually is an American werewolf in London. Nice. Um, it's from 1981. And I one of the reasons that I love it so much is it perfectly blends comedy and horror in a way that wasn't really ever done before. Um, John Landis is the director. And some people, if you're not a horror fan, you would probably at least know his other movies, Trading Places and Coming to America. So very big in the comedy world. Before American Werewolf in London, it's like you either had movies that were supposed to be scary or they were supposed to be funny and like goofy, you know, mm-hmm. like Laurel and Hardy meet, uh, you know, Frankenstein, <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know, it was it was more about camp. And yeah. I feel like American Werewolf in London, it kind of got mixed reviews at the time because people didn't really know how to handle like something that's like a movie that's truly scary, but then has comedy in it and has like funny characters and funny lines, but it's not a comedy necessarily. To me, it's just a really interesting new style of movie that happened at that time. And it's it's super rewatchable. I can watch that movie anytime. Katie, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been a true honor. Thank you for sharing your experiences and your knowledge with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. And if you can tell us where our listeners can find you, Katie. Well, I would definitely recommend you come find us on YouTube. The channel yes. is Katie and Vicky, K-A-T-Y and Vicky, V-I-K-K-I. Um, so find us on there and subscribe. Uh, and as far as any of my stores, Instagram, everything is a boutique for him. And we will have that linked in the show notes to make sure everybody can find you. Thank you again, Katie. Thank you. All right, Liz, I know you've got a particular seller shout out this week. So tell us who your seller shout out is to. Yeah, so this week, this is super cool. First, congratulations to everyone graduating. Yes. uh, High school, college. But a special shout out to Amy Warren. She is the owner of Apple Barrel Traders, graduated with her master's of science in entrepreneurship. So she did a awesome little post in her on her Facebook page. On her cap, she had all the platforms that she sells that she sells on and a little list perfectly sticker. Oh, how How cool is that? Um, That is true entrepreneurship, Liz. So yeah, what was really cool, Doug, is she has a picture of her, what she calls her super fun mortarboard um, that pays tribute to the big businesses, which has enabled her little one to be all that it is today. Oh, that's epic. So on on the top of her cap, she had all the platforms she sells on and a little List Perfectly sticker. Because List Perfectly helps her sell on all of the platforms. Sorry, yeah, mom so it- and dad. No, thanks to you. <laughs> right. So, Amy, congratulations. And I look forward to seeing more big things come from Apple Barrel Traders. And we will post the link in the show notes so you can see it as well. And follow Apple Barrel Traders. That's right. Doug. Yes. Some news. Lots of big news happening. I don't think that we have a news segment long enough 
to cover all that's going on in reselling right now. It's very exciting, Liz. There's a lot of uh, particularly social commerce news this week. There is. Uh, kind of ties right back into what we were talking with Katie about, social commerce. Yeah, we love social commerce news, Liz, and there's a lot of social commerce news. I follow that closely, and I know now you are too. And so you were telling me about some Poshmark thing. Let's talk about that first. So Poshmark announced last week, and they say, we're excited to announce a first-of-its-kind partnership with Snap Inc., so Snapchat, to launch Poshmark Mini. So it is a bite-sized social shopping experience of Poshmark that lives inside Snapchat. So, and then they go on, you can go through and look. So really, Snapchatters in the U.S. will be able to shop Posh Parties, their signature real-time virtual shopping events, and shop our entire catalog of more than 200 million products. So Poshmark, so there's going to be the active sellers on Poshmark that are getting on Snap, uh, advertising their products, but also sending them directly to Poshmark to shop all of our closets. Yeah. And what's cool here, it's so Snap and Poshmark are working together. It's a it's a like-minded audience. So they're really working with their demographic. And then Snapchat is, I mean, it's one of those platforms that I think has still been underutilized by a lot of brands. And this is cool to see because it's very interactive. Obviously, it's video based and there are a few barriers to put a video out or a photo or, you know, it's you can text as well or message snap back and forth. And, you know, it's got the whole expiring message thing, but it's also a very interactive platform for people that like to do short video. And obviously they want to bring sellers over and all the platforms are adding social commerce. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, you know, the Poshmark audience is perfect for Snapchat, probably very active on there as well. I think you're going to see a lot more of these partnerships with the platforms. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so maybe Katie will take on Snapchat instead of TikTok. Who knows? We we'll have to have see. her back and see. <laughs> yeah, she mocked us, but let's talk again in six months. <laughs> so, and they go on to announce that Posh Mini will be launching in the coming weeks. So stay tuned. Yes. Uh, make sure that you follow the Poshmark page. Um, and uh, speaking of TikTok, Liz, mm-hmm. right? We've got TikTok news too. You know, I'm a fan, right? I know, I know. I don't post on there much, but I'm a big fan. Watch, Liz. I'm doing my TikTok dance. Stop looking away, Liz. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry for your daughter. Anyway, TikTok is so interesting to me because it's very interactive. Again, it's video based. Um, Mm -hmm. It was meant to be a certain type of platform, but it's kind of molded itself. The the algorithm is super dialed in to what you're looking at, you know, your for you stuff, things like that. But the interesting thing that TikTok as a company is doing, they're really leaning towards small businesses. They're really leaning towards sellers. So they're launching a lot of stuff to um, shift what the platform is used for, bring sellers on. There are a lot of sellers on there that are posting like sourcing content and stuff, but they're going to make it so sellers can actually sell on there. So they've been working with merchants and markets um, on ways that products can be sold directly to all the users within the TikTok platform. So I follow a lot of, uh, you know, social media and tech blogs and things like that. Social Media Today recently ran an article and it's talking about how 
TikTok's been working on e-commerce offerings for a bit, starting out with basic e-commerce links within video clips. You can look at stuff, you can click it, you can buy. They're working on something called promo tiles, which would enable businesses to add customizable sales and promotional alerts overlaid in video clips. So these experiments are interesting, Liz, but the other thing is Digital Information World also put out an article that our friend Alexis Gallivan, former eBayer, now the head of small business development at TikTok. I think that's a really good move, and that shows you something that they're really leaning in. TikTok's one of the most popular social apps right now. It's growing. So they've launched a feature which allows creators to tag brands directly in videos. So certain products or clothing can be bought by tapping on the video. That's... I think that's the next that's the next level stuff. It really is. I mean, even listening in on the May seller check-in with eBay, they are getting involved with TikTok. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doing a lot of promotions and campaigns with influencers there. Um, so I kind of see that how uh, Poshmark is going with Snap. eBay's leaning into TikTok. I have a feeling just, you know, marketplaces are really going to be focusing on that because there was we we started a conversation about this in the List Perfectly Facebook group. Yeah. And I just really have a feel I don't know, Doug, I'm I'm not a huge social media. I mean, yes, I'm in Facebook groups, whatever, but I don't utilize it. I way underutilize it to sell my stuff. I'm just not there. But I follow sellers who are great content creators and I can see these marketplaces having their back so as they branch out to these social media platforms reeling it all back into platforms. Are there going to be some off-platform sales? Probably. Yeah. But yeah. at the end of the day, this is an excellent advertising strategy for your marketplaces if that's what you do. Will I ever get into it? Probably not. But I'm going to enjoy following those that do it, and I want to see their successes. Well, and what's cool, too, is eBay Open 2018, eBay Open 2019, I did panels where we talked about using social media to promote your, you know, your business. And a lot of times that was like, tell your story, share some of your products, but build your personal brand, tell your story. But now it's getting to the next level where you're not, you know, you're sharing something and it used to be you would share something, people would have to click a link and then go to buy it. But now it's getting to that point where it's going to be a seamless experience. I really think that, you know, especially with TikTok, but I think across the board for marketplaces or, you know, anything like that, now is the time to start getting the foot in the door because this stuff is going to explode over the next couple of years. And it's going to it's going to change things. It's going to bring a lot off of the platform. So you have to have these kind of partnerships. You have to have this kind of um, synergy. And it's just a strategy that can help you go to the next level. On the social sites for a long time, Pinterest had it where you could click. You could click an mm -hmm. item in a photo and go to, you know, go off site. And they for a long time, Pinterest had the highest conversion level of uh, buyers because it had a mm -hmm. female buying audience. So now they're saying, though, they uh, so Adweek Morning Consult did a survey of TikTok users. Half of TikTok users would be interested in purchasing directly from the app. So that's you know, awesome. I mean, it's I think it's the future of e-commerce. You're going to keep seeing all this stuff. I, I think so, too. Um, that is so interesting. I'm so let's let's keep an eye on it and let's let's see if maybe in the future we could get some uh, social media pointers. You know somebody. I do. We do have a friend. I think we're going to reach out to her when uh, we can do a little shout out to 
my home girl, my nacho compadre, Tracy yes. Davis of Zing Pop Social. So what she does is she does uh, social media consulting for small businesses. We co-presented at eBay Open 2018 on using social media to promote your eBay business. And then, um, you know, we should have her on, just talk next level. I would stuff. love that. And then we should have um, Alexis on to talk TikTok and small businesses on TikTok. That would be awesome. I would love that. Yeah, that eBay Open 2018 that is when I started on social media because of that presentation that I attended. And that was my first introduction to the Doug Smith. Who knew, Liz? Who knew Who you knew? were out there in the audience? <laughs> I'm sure in the front row. Oh, no, not really. I'm sure I was in the back. <laughs> in the back, trying to stay awake. Liz Perfectly put on their Instagram, hey, this is the Seller Community Podcast from Liz Perfectly. Who do you like to listen to? Mm -hmm. And so there was some responses there and I responded with some of the podcasts that I love to listen to. One of my recent finds is, is that Etsy has their own podcast. So I tuned into that while I was taking the dog for a walk the other day and I had to like go back home and rewind it and write these statistics down because they gave such great insight of things that are trending on Etsy. Nice. And as we know, Etsy, vintage, vintage is trending, Y2K, all of that is hot right now. So I just grabbed this information. These were all statistics from July to December. So Etsy is seeing an uptick in searches in the following. Open air or crochet knit bags. Do you think it's because a lot of us had to stay home for a year? So maybe not me. Maybe we started crocheting. That could vary. Macrame, crochet. Macrame. Has, that's been hot this past year. So Doug, do you like baguettes? Small bags of chips? Or are we talking about like... French roll bread. We're actually talking about purses. So Etsy saw an increase. It's like a French roll. It was actually, so these became popular, think, uh, in the 90s, created by Fendi. Um, it was the It bag back then um, after it was featured in Sex in the City. So it's a shape of a bag. Um, mm. But Etsy saw a 394% increase for the search term baguette bag. They also. Wait, is it a bag for your French loaf? It's not. Go, go, go. <laughs> You could <laughs> a I bread bag. A bag for my French loaf of bread. I don't think that that's what they were searching for. However, if you have a bag that holds baguettes, so I don't understand this one. Probably a good reason because I'm not a fashionista. I'm not hip and cool and up on the times. So there was a 1,360% increase for the search term smiley face jewelry. Smiley face jewelry. So if you're a crafter and mm -hmm. you're making jewelry, you may want to consider adding the smiley faces. And isn't that, it's kind of like a classic little moniker. It goes way back to the 60s or 70s, the smiley face. And there was a comic, Liz, called The Watchman, which uses a modified smiley face logo. But also, you know, when I text people and like if I text you, Liz, and I want you to know I'm, I tell you something, but I'm not mad. I'll put a smiley face emoji at the end. So there you go. That's I'm pretty sure you just dated yourself with that smiley <laughs> face emoji, which I overuse. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Y2K. So year 2000, sure. a 1,970% increase for Y2K bags. So purses, bags. Hmm. Think um, Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie in The Simple Life, that era, that time frame. 
mm-hmm. bags from that time. So anyways, I'm, there's my little Etsy snippet. Oh my goodness, Doug. I think that that, I think that was a lot of news. We have more news. We're going to have to hold it off till next week. Yeah. You'll just have to come back and see. You more. have to come back. We have more news. Obscure references. Thanks Liz for those social <laughs> e-commerce and news snippets. So yeah, that's about it for the news. And I think that that wraps up episode 15, Doug. Very exciting, Liz. That's my excited voice. I think I'm getting better. You're getting better at your excited voice. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for all the excited voice tips. And thank you for joining us this week on the Seller Community Podcast from List Perfectly. This week, we talked to Katie Zilverberg from A Boutique for Him. We had a great seller shout out and we shared a lot of news. We did. And you can find us at listperfectly.com slash podcast. You can leave a message for us or ask a question at anchor.fm slash seller community podcast. Nobody's done that. You can call and record a message for us as long as you're nice. You could ask us a question. We could play your voice on the air. You can email us at podcast at listperfectly.com. And then if you have questions or comments, you can post them in the List Perfectly Facebook group. You can use the hashtag seller community podcast and you can mention Liz or Doug. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts and be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. We want you to also, if you would, if you like the podcast or if you have feedback, it doesn't have to be good feedback. You can go to Apple and you can leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have constructive criticism, we can take that as well. Unless it's like less Doug. I don't know. I feel like I kind of take over. I don't know how we can get less Doug in here, but how about, how about, why doesn't Liz just tone it down? Liz has excellent diction. And you are working on that excited voice. And not mumbling and not talking over. I can't, (laughs) I'm not going to be able to get rid of the obscure references though. I can't help it. Okay. Okay. And then Liz, social media influencer extraordinaire. You can follow her on Instagram at Colorado Reworn. I'm at snoop.dougie and of course, follow at list perfectly on Instagram as well. All right. Anything else, Liz? A few seconds left. That is it. See See you you next week. week.